Well, happy Easter. Christ is risen. And you're meant to say he is risen indeed, but I can't hear you. So I'll say it. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And we were so hoping to do a big kind of open air service over Easter. But sadly, it's not to be like this year. Lots of disappointments that we've all had. And, you know, hopefully, though, this finds you safe. This finds you well. And that uh, you're able to watch from wherever you are. And we're able to enjoy uh, Easter together, spread across our uh, different uh, families and homes and celebrating the risen Lord Jesus, celebrating the fact that he is alive and that he is risen and alive today. You know, 1960s, there was a massive scandal that rocked America, rocked the whole world, actually. Uh, It's called a Watergate scandal where President uh, Richard Nixon was impeached uh, through to illegal activities that he'd been up to, lying and deceiving to cover it up. And uh, 12 of his uh, associates went to prison. Charles Colson was one of them. And in prison, Colson actually came to faith in Christ. And he wrote this later on. I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because the 12 disciples testified that they had seen Jesus risen from the dead and they proclaimed the truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned and put in prison. They would not have endured it if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 disciples kept alive for 40 years? It's impossible. Ern Blakelock, the famous historian, said the evidence for the life, death and resurrection of Jesus is better better authenticated than most of the facts of all human history. Jesus is alive. Yes, we've got lockdowns. We've got COVID. It's raining as I record this on and on. I don't want to minimise any of the pain and the suffering and the difficulty that we've had in this last year. But Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. I've got a, a song in my heart that I've had all week and I'm going to sing it and I know I haven't got the right right microphone and it's probably going to sound horrible but I don't care because God's put this song in my heart and it's this you alone can rescue you alone can save you alone can lift us from the grave you came down to find us let us out of death to you alone belongs the highest praise you alone can rescue you alone can save you alone can lift us from the grave you came down to find us let us out of death to you alone belongs the highest praise (laughs) i don't know how that sounded but jesus is the one he came down to rescue us he led us out of death and if he led us out of the ultimate death then surely he can lead us out of the situation that we are in you know Brennan Manning wrote this. It's a long quote, but I think you'll like it. He said this, An awareness of the resurrected Christ banishes meaninglessness, the dreaded sense that all of our life experiences are disconnected and useless. Without deliberate awareness of the present risenness of Jesus, life is nonsense. All activity is useless. All relationships are vain. 
Apart from the risen Christ, we live in a world of impenetrable mystery and utter obscurity, a world without meaning, a world of death, danger and darkness, a world of inexplicable futility. Nothing is interconnected. Nothing is worth doing. Nothing endures. It is all sound and fury with no ultimate significance. But the dark riddle of life is illuminated in Jesus. The meaning, the purpose, the goal of everything that happens to us and the way to make it all count can be learned only from the one who is the way, the truth and the life. So here's the question for this morning. How does the resurrection of Christ give us meaning and give us motivation? I woke up, I think I told you, on the 4th of January thinking, I can't keep doing this. We were going into another lockdown. It was like, put my head back under the duvet. They can't make me live this life. They can't make me do another year of this. It was like all motivation just drained out of me in that moment. And many I know are facing the same feeling even now facing a lack of motivation. What's the point of all this? So I want us to read together a beautiful passage of scripture that written by the Apostle Paul, one of the earliest followers of Jesus. And we find it as he writes to the great city of Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14. He writes this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'd love us to look at that passage through four questions. What does it teach us about God? What does it teach us about people? What do we need to do to obey? What do we need to do to live out that passage? And who can we share it with? What what does it teach us about God? Paul starts in this place, and I love it, for Christ's love compels us. It's so easy at Easter, isn't it, to focus on the facts, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, to kind of go through the mechanics of it all and to think about what happened rather than why it happened. And Paul starts us in the right place because of Christ's love. It was because of Christ's love. He loved you. He loved me, not in a sickly, sticky, hallmark kind of card kind of way, but in a passionate, take a bullet for you, don't go to a cross for you kind of way. Right in the middle of my January blues when I was wanting to stick my head back onto the duvet, someone gave me a prophetic word, an encouragement as it were, and they said, Simon, I read a book years ago called Compelled by Love, and I feel like when all motivation is gone, the only thing that can compel us is love. It so helped me. Paul starts in this place. The outrageous, the unstoppable love of Christ. Have we got caught up in the mechanics of Easter? Have we remembered the reason? Not the what, but the why. Why did Christ come? Why did he die for us? Because he loved us with an inexplicable love. You know, C.S. Lewis, the author of um, Narnia and those uh, books, Lion, Witch of the Wardrobe and all that. 
he, uh, uh, the Narnia series of books, he uh, used to lecture on the Romance poets. Uh, he used to lecture on them at, uh, I think, Oxford University, and he lectured on these um, uh, poets, but apparently it was pretty dry. It was like he was lecturing on maths. No one really showed up. But then C.S. Lewis fell in love, and he continued his lectures on the Romance poets, and they used to queue up for hours just to hear him. So many Christians talk about God's love, they sing about God's love, but it's like talking about maths until you bask in it, until you enjoy it, until you've understood the God of the universe, the one who flung stars into space. He loves you. He loves you. The one who is feared and adored in the heavenly realms. He loves you. That is the foundation of meaning and significance. It's the, it's the root, it's the foundation, because if the one who is the most important of all ones, if the one who created you says that you, have, you are significant and that you have meaning, then you have it, and no one can take it away from you. No one can rob you of it. It starts with his love, and it says this, God doesn't want to count our sins against us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness, the right ways of being in God. You might say, well, so what? You know, God's got this issue with sin. You know, he's a big kind of cosmic killjoy. He's got a problem with sin. I haven't. Why has he got such a big problem with sin? How do we relate to sin in a world that likes actually breaking rules? I mean, what's the big deal if we bend a couple of God's rules? The best lens, I think, to see sin and to understand it in our world, in our context, in a a world of breaking rules don't really matter, is this. It's like breaking relationship. Picture a time when you did something wrong. You lied or you cheated or you stole or you hurt someone that you loved and that you knew loved you, but they hadn't yet realised that you'd done it. So you'd done it and you knew it, but they didn't know it. Do you remember a moment like that? Picture yourself in that moment. How did you feel? Shame, guilt, fear. Why? Because of the rule that you broke? No. Because of the impact on the relationship. And you told yourself, it doesn't matter, it's only a big deal. And the more you told yourself, it's not, it's not a big deal, but the more you told yourself that, the more you knew deep down it was a big deal. The, rela- the rule was secondary to the relationship that was broken. You damaged the relationship. Now imagine multiplying that by a million, by a billion, and we understand what the scripture is trying to show us, that our sin has damaged our relationship with God. It's fractured, it's broken, it's terminal, and there's no way for it to recover until Jesus, he is the great relationship fixer and that's what it says all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ I was present one time when a son was reconciled to his father he'd hidden something that he'd done that was grievous and he'd hidden it and he confessed it and they wept in each other's arms and all the father could say was he's been carrying this for so long some people have this picture of God as the angry judge who you know, kicks puppies and is uh, cruel to uh, small animals. And Jesus is nice and kind and gives sweets to children. And they've got this kind of picture of a God who is so different. 
But this passage shows a different story because it says God reconciled us to himself through Christ. This was a divine partnership of love. It was God the Father initiating and Christ responding in his love to come and reconcile us to himself. It was compelled, it was motivated by love. That's what it shows me about God. What does it show us about people? Well, firstly, it shows us if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. If we have accepted this reconciling message, then we become new. We become transformed on the inside out. You and I have got a new identity in Christ if we've accepted what Jesus has done for us. You know, Jason Bourne, you know, the Bourne Identity uh, um, series of movies, uh, Bourne Identity, Supremacy and all that. Jason Bourne, he spends the whole movie trying to work out who he is. He thinks he's a good guy. We think he's a good guy. But then he realises he's not a good guy. He realises he's a trained killer. He's an assassin, a hired gun. He discovers these fake identities. He discovers a gun in a vault in Switzerland. And then he realises who he really is. He's a murderer who's murdered countless people. And he's horrified. And the rest of the movie and the series of movies is a story of redemption. Can he redeem his evil past to become the man that he wants to be, the man that he now is? And that's the story of each one of us. As we come to Christ, we thought we were the good guys. But as we stand in the light of God's purity, we realise we've got broken relationships everywhere. We're the bad guys. And then we encounter the truth of Christ and we realise this, that rather than having to transform ourselves into the people that we want to be, Christ has transformed us. His resurrection proves that he did it. He succeeded in the great transformation of our identities. He went and pulled out a new identity from the bank vault of heaven and gave it to you and I. And what does it mean? Well, that's the point. That's the point. What it means is that instead of reading the Bible now to some kind of boring, disconnected book, you read it now to discover who you are in Christ, to discover your new identity in this great new family. The adventure of life is to find out who you now are in Christ. And that's the second thing. Paul gives us some clues. And one of us is in this passage. He says this, we have now been given the ministry of reconciliation. Because we have been reconciled, we now carry this message of reconciliation in in ourselves. We have been reconciled to the Father, and Paul says now we've been given a job. Now go and reconcile others. We, as it were, become mini-Christ, followers of Christ, Christians, mini-Christs, who carry on Christ's great work of reconciliation. Paul says you have become an ambassador of Christ. Here's the point. Your identity has been transformed. You've become an ambassador and these two are inseparable. You you can't have a new identity without being an ambassador and you can't be an ambassador without having a new identity. These are linked together. You're an ambassador. That gives you significance. It gives you meaning. I heard a, a story of two farmers Two brothers, actually, and they lived on adjacent farms and they had a brilliant relationship sharing tools and equipment and helping each other uh, dig land and, and build houses and wonderful. But then one day, a small, almost insignificant fallout got bigger and bigger and bigger until they were completely estranged, not even speaking to each other. The younger brother got his digger out and dug a massive trench between the two farms, which soon filled with water and became a creek from the nearby 
river. And one morning, the older brother had a knock on his door and it was a, a traveling carpenter who said, look, I'm looking for a few days work. Have you got anything? He said, I'll tell you what, I've got something. There's a lot of wood out the back. My brother's built a trench. Go and build me an eight foot fence. I'm actually, I'm away for a few days. Go and build me an eight foot fence. I don't even want to see him. So the carpenter set to work. But when the older brother came back a few days later, there was no fence. He was shocked. The wood had been used instead to build a bridge, a beautiful bridge joining the two properties across the creek. And walking across the bridge was his younger brother, open-mouthed. And he said to him, he said to his older brother, after all I've done, you go and build a bridge. I realise I don't want to lose our relationship. The older brother was shocked. He turned to the carpenter and said, who was about to leave, don't go, I've got more work for you. The carpenter said, look, I've got to go. There's more bridges that I need to build. I heard that story many years ago, but it gripped me again in these days. In the chaos of COVID, there is wood lying everywhere. And what I see is loads of people building fences, erecting fences, relationship blockers, fences between different people groups, fences between people and God. They're going up everywhere. But God says, who's going to build me some bridges? Who's going to take that same wood and use it to build some bridges? Who's going to join me in the great reconciliation? Who's going to join me and build some bridges. So that's the third question then. What do we need to do? What do we need to do? Maybe your thing is to believe. Maybe that's your do. Your do is actually a believe. Before you do anything, you've got to believe. You've got to believe in Christ's reconciling work. You've got to believe that you were once estranged from God, that sin had broken your relationship, but now he has called you into relationship again with his father and you've got to believe that he's done that and you've got to receive it and if that's you then tell somebody tell someone who's a christian a follower of jesus tell someone who's not share that story you can tell me if you want to i'd love to hear it make a response you can click on the screen if you want to just as an initial response but that's just the beginning begin the journey of discovering a new identity find someone who can help you in that Maybe your do is to believe, to believe afresh. The love of God, he loves me because he loves me because he loves me. To remind yourself, not just the what of Easter, but the why of Easter. Maybe your do is a belief. Maybe though, your do is to freshly receive the ministry of reconciliation. Maybe you're halfway through building a fence and you've realized this morning, hang on a minute. How can I turn that fence into a bridge? You know, what's important is that we're not just hearers of God's word, that we're, that we're doers. Jesus said, now that you've heard these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Take a minute to ask the Father, what do I need to do as a result of hearing your word? And lastly, the fourth question is, who can I share it with? Who, who needs to hear this news? Who needs to hear the news that Jesus is alive, that he's reconciled us to his Father and that he's given us this ministry of reconciliation? Who can you share this with? Maybe a call or a text or a, or a card. Who can you share this news? Is there a bridge that you need to build in this season? I want to finish 
though, with a prophetic word that uh, uh, my friend KJ sent to me this week. She said this, I have a picture of a butterfly emerging from a cocoon called Lockdown. The butterfly has been changed and it needed to learn to do things differently. It was no longer a caterpillar. And as it emerged, it was encased in a bubble like a child had blown a bubble, super thin and delicate. And the bubble was called self-doubt. The butterfly was unsure of its new abilities. Self-doubt was holding it back. I felt God say to pray for a spirit of activation in the church that people will be willing to try new things. The bubble of self-doubt was so thin that if the butterfly would just touch it, it would burst. I felt God that say that many in the church were scared to speak, that the world had become so polarised, people were frozen, afraid of saying the wrong thing or refusing to commune with those who held different beliefs. I felt like God say he wanted to release an entrepreneurial, an activating spirit that was willing to see things differently, to hear different views and opinions and connect with people from different places and backgrounds without judgment and bring the Father's love to anyone. She had no idea what I was speaking on this Sunday. But there it is. Who's going to be those who builds a bridge? That's how the resurrection of Jesus gives us meaning, gives us significance. So as you go, go carrying the spirit of reconciliation with you. Go pick up some wood and start building a bridge. Go in the love of God and go knowing that he's reconciled himself, you to himself so that you can go out and reconcile others. Thanks so much for listening. Let me just pray for us. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now that that spirit of activation would shake us and grip us, that as butterflies emerging from lockdown, we would and we would grasp and take hold of the ministry that you've got for us. I pray, Holy Spirit, across the homes that are listening to this, I pray fall right now. I pray, Lord, for bridges to start to be built. I pray for fences to be torn down. I pray for this spirit, this ministry of reconciliation to grab hearts. I pray for the spirit of forgiveness to flow. I pray, Lord God, that you would come by your spirit and do something in each one of us. I pray, Holy Spirit, let anointing flow. We can't do this on our own, Lord. We cannot do it on our own this is a work of you Christ be revealed in us let your resurrection count for something let that same power that rose you from the dead now work in each one of us to do the things that are impossible in ourselves and to bring us home to you and I pray for anyone who's responded this morning to give their life to you I pray that they would be aware of your spirit filling them and coming upon them right now as they join this great ministry of reconciliation Come, Lord Jesus, pray your blessing on your people in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. God bless you. Happy Easter. I hope you have a great and wonderful term.